Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do follow and share it with a friend. And a five-star review will always help in a big way wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really enjoy the episodes, then please do consider becoming a patron of the show. Finally, sign up to our free monthly newsletter, giving you some much-needed updates in the world of adventure. Just use the link in the description. Today's guest is Andrew. Andrew has plenty of experience in Nepal doing a couple of other circuit treks, and this Manaslu circuit trek was his favourite one by far, taking him through forests into the more rugged terrain, up into the pass, seeing the very exciting animal, which I'll let you listen and find out which, and also seeing Manaslu hit by that alpine glow, that morning sun. It sounds like such an incredible time there. So I really, really hope you enjoy the episode diving straight into it. If you've got any questions or comments, btmtravelpod at gmail.com and then we can have a chat about them. But otherwise, let's just get into the episode. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, good. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Perfect. So, yeah, I mean, there's some... We're, we are going to be chatting about somewhere uh, super exciting for for me because uh, I like this sort of thing. Uh, a lot of the listeners as well, I think. Uh, where are we going today? Yeah, uh, we're going to Manaslu in uh, central Nepal, uh, between the Everest region and the Annapurna region, uh, near the close to the border with uh, Tibet. Yeah, sounds fantastic, and it's um, it's the it's the trek circuit, isn't it? That you're doing, so it's um. Uh, that the the one with the the just the fantastic views and you go over the pass and get some altitude as well in you I think that, that's correct yes the Manaslu circuit yes yeah I mean I, I watched a couple of videos bef- uh, on it before recording this podcast uh, it'd be interesting to see what you thought of the landscape because it kind of starts all all lovely with lots of you know like flowers and trees around you and then when you're at the top it's very barren <laughs> um, I mean what, what did you think about the the landscape. Yeah, that's correct. Um, that was one of the things that attracted me to the trek. Um, having done the Everest region and, and the Annapurna base camp in the past, the variety of the terrain, it starts off in a tropical forest region and then starts up and gets more rugged as it gets up near the Tibetan border. It's very plain brown rock, as you normally, normally see uh, in, on the Tibetan plateau. And then, then you go over the pass and then you go back down the valley, follow a glacial river, and then you go back into sort of like forestry and uh, waterfalls area and follow the valley back down again. Yeah, yeah. It just sounds so beautiful, honestly. It's <laughs> so good. As far as getting there, I suppose that's a good place to start, isn't it? How are we getting there? Are we getting a flight straight to Kathmandu? Or yeah. did you did you drive in? or? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It usually starts off from the UK, from Heathrow Airport, uh, with an evening flight, overnight flight, to Delhi. Mm. One of my first treks was for um, one of the Arab states, but most people fly out from London Heathrow and um, change flights at Delhi. Um, And then it was uh, another three and a half hour flight from Delhi to Kathmandu. And the time you get there, you're ready to drop, basically. It's... Obviously, it's knackering, but um, yeah, it's a long, long journey. 
long journey, yeah. But yeah. worth it. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Although maybe maybe if you can't handle the journey, then don't, don't, <laughs> don't no, do the trek. No, no. <laughs> but so we we get to Kathmandu, uh, talk us through it. Where, where, do we, where do we head off to as a first point? What's the first day like? Right, right. The first day, Kathmandu is... Um, quite an experience really um it's it's a busy place d- busy dusty um sort of like what you see typical with um any indian play indian city in india um okay. it's very busy with traffic and uh, head straight to the hotel and then uh, it's quite an experience because you've got cattle in the road because <laughs> 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 um, um, cows get free right of passage because they're uh, sacred as part of the Hindu Hindu religion. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so but um, usually um, the first night, usually heading to Tamil, get supplies before before heading out the next day onto the trek, last minute supplies and go get something to eat. I've mainly gone with the um, British um, travel company Exodus. They they're quite good because they use local porters, Nepalese people. Um, guides on the treks usually oh good yeah and they've they've got a good hotel um just outside tamil so so yeah that's the company i've tend to go with in the past yeah yeah that's pretty fantastic it's nice to support the local community though when especially when you're using a uh, an externally based company i think so the first day's kind of busy you're avoiding cows you're getting to the location getting (laughs) suited up i suppose a couple of questions before we start how long are we expected to, to take doing this trek? Bannersloo circuit is one of the longer ones. It take, I believe it's a 16-day trek usually, 16 days. Um, it's certainly one of the longer treks that I've done, yes, yeah. That's nice. That, that's, a, that's an epic amount of time just spent trekking yeah. through mountains. Yeah, usually um, most treks are two weeks, yeah, yeah. And then thinking about the gear now as well, what are we taking with us to, to, the, to the start of the trek? And is there right. anything the company gives you that you need? The company usually gives you um, a kit bag to take, okay. uh, which is handy. Usually they, they only allow a certain amount of kilos, 12 kilo weight, 20 or 12 kilos, I think, average in the past uh, in your kit bag. Um, so I had to take a bit of stuff out to put the weight down before they um, allowed me to take what I needed to take. Like it's basically, I took my mountain boots, but there wasn't snow on the time on the, so I won't weren't, weren't going to need my mountain boots. So I left in left them in the hotel. Mm. You can leave stuff in the hotel if you uh, take too many too much gear with you, but they'll check that before um, you go proceed the next day on the uh, start of the trek. And so we've got kit sorted. Uh, did you, I guess you brought your own walking poles, or did you go just freehand? Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I took. I normally um, when I go walking, I take two trek poles. Yes, because um, it, it's handy for the knees on the routes down on the the high trails. Yeah. And I'm guessing you're bringing snacks with you for for when you get hangry or hungry, and food is supplied by the company, or, or are you packing all that yourself? Yeah. Yes. Um, we normally stay in uh, lodges on route on the treks, uh, which uh, includes breakfast. Uh, but we have to pay for lunch, our rest stop on route during the daytime, and our evening meals usually. Yeah, so we have to um, have a certain amount of rupees, Nepalese rupees, money with us to cover for all them expenses. Yes, yeah. 
What's the conversion rate like at the moment? Is it is it quite uh, strong? Or? It, it it was good, um, but you usually end up with wads of uh, notes because uh, <sighs> Nepalese money you don't get much in the way of coinage, which is kind of fortunate when you're on a trek. You don't carry a weight of uh, coinage. Yeah. With you, so, yeah. yeah. And then you do, then the next trick is just finding somewhere back in the UK that uh, that converts Nepalese rupees. Yeah, usually I just take travellers' checks and, and exchange um, the day before the trek. Usually, yeah, in the hotel usually, or out out in the town in Nepal if I find a good rate. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who um, who's just got come back from Thailand. She managed to spend most of the lockdown in Thailand, and she she rushed there. So she's got about, I think, 35 or 50 quid in Lao money um, or Laos. I think it's Lao. I think you say it. I don't know. But um, in in that currency and she's come back to the UK and she can't find anywhere that would will convert it back. Um, Like they'll happily supply you with it because they want to do it, but they're not going to take it because I'll normally keep hold of my Nepalese notes ready for next time. So, yeah, Yeah, smart moving. Yeah. (laughs) I grew up in a house where we always kept euros for the next trip. So, uh. No matter how far away it was. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. So we've kind of got some decent foundations all set up now. Uh, take us take us through the trip as a whole. What, what I, I guess the highlights chronologically would be a good uh, a good a good thing to do. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So really, the highlights was um, having the opportunity to see Manaslu, uh, which is one of the, um, the the highest mountains in the world, the eighth highest. Yeah. Uh, thousand meters. Uh, sorry, 8,156 metres. Um, it was first climbed by the Japanese in the 1950s. The highlight was seeing it early morning at sunrise. Um, you get this um, glow on the mountain and it, it sort of glows orangey colour. And yeah. then the opportunity to go up high up to the mountain pass, which is um, over 5,000 metres. And I had the opportunity to see um, a rare sighting of an animal. <laughs> yeah, I'll what, say what, more later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because when you told me, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah carry on. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I knew the trek um, on the way up and the way back down had um, spectacular waterfalls. This was done post monsoon season, so. It was just outside the rainy season, so they were gushing down with quite spectacular force, some of these uh, waterfalls. Um, It was the first time that I'd encountered leeches. (laughs) Um, Oh, wow, really? Dreaded dreaded things that suck your blood. But usually they they go in your heels and your boots, between your boots. No. I I had one time where one evening I'd uh, put my socks off and, there was a bit of blood, but I've heard some more horror stories, people in the past like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If you if you're nearby any mountain stream or or nearby taking pictures with waterfalls, um, they can actually, without you knowing, get into your boots and be there and suck your blood. <laughs> yeah, they are disgusting. It's um, yeah. I, I, my first experience was when I was a kid in, in the UK. Um, one of my friends was just like liked to jump into this local stream and like just mess around. And and you, he'd he'd come out with one to three at any time, just of all different sizes. They they jump on you quite small, don't they? And then they just suck away, and then they could they could be quite large by by yeah. the time they're done. It's disgusting. 
But but yeah, so, so we're going to be avoiding them then when we're by the streams and waterfalls. Yeah, don't don't linger too long because if they stiff you out, yeah, yeah. Because I think you were saying that the reason that you you go and do these treks was the photography, was it? That's correct. Yes, yeah, yeah. I just like um, being in the mountains, having the opportunity to photograph the uh, the giant peaks of the Himalayas. Yeah. There's something spiritual and amazing about seeing the giant peaks. Um, but there is days where there's cloud and unfortunately you don't get the views on certain days, but um, you, you do get lucky and um, have clear weather on certain days. And um, and, and that's the bonus, uh, just being in awe at seeing the giant peaks is just some, something, uh, you know, it's just amazing, yeah. It's incredible. Uh, I, I'm, I think we, we, I mean, we're recording this. If you're listening in the future, first of all, how is it? Um, second of all we're recording this in october of 2020 and um it's we're desperate i think everyone's desperate to get out to some big mountains again uh by this point yeah it's uh it's it's being tied down i mean scotland's amazing uh, and 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 it's ticking the box for now but yeah i I think people are quite desperate to get out um (laughs) excuse the pun to to get between the mountains (laughs) and uh, and have a bit of a think to themselves so so, yeah, so you've got some pretty fantastic highlights then. So taking us through the route now, I suppose uh, let's go section by section. Now, the, the first section of the the trek, what kind of things are we facing? What How many days is it going to take? Are there any challenges? Yeah, well, the first day was a uh, uh, bus ride out of Kathmandu, out, out the, to the Kathmandu Valley. And then it was um, onto the uh, Pokhara Highway. Uh, mm. which is quite an experience with uh, people overtaking each other and that through hairpin bends. And then you get into a rugged area uh, with glacial rivers um, where they, they do rafting. And then we turned off the um, Pokhara Highway and headed up, up on the hillside uh, dirt track road. We uh, stayed overnight at the start of the trek um, was the village of Agarat Bazaar. Uh, which is usually the starting point for the Manislu circuit. It's, it's basically done in an anti-clockwise direction. It's uh, the start of the um, Bully Gandaki Valley, which is a glacial river. Uh, we, we stayed overnight there in the lodge. Then the first day was uh, um, quite an easy day, um, not too much height gained. Following the Bali, might may have not pronounced it right, the Bali Gandaki River. <laughs> a good attempt to think better than me. <laughs> yeah, through small villages, uh, dust track, jeep road, and that ended. And then it was uh, a footpath for the rest of the way, past cult- cultivated fields, through sort of forestry areas with, I believe it was banana trees, <laughs> you know, palm trees and that. And then um, overnight um, at Dovan, the first first night. Then the second day. It was um, very much getting a bit steeper, and it was very hot. Um, it's, despite drinking enough, yeah, I, I did suffer with heat stroke, so I just had to stop, get in the shade, and uh, have a rest. But yeah, that was an experience—the first time from suffering from heat stroke. You wouldn't um, think you'd get it, get it in Nepal, would you? You'd think something like the the Spanish yeah. coastline or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that was a day of trekking through bamboo forest, rhodod- rhododendron forest. So wow. Then we stayed overnight at Jargat, day of ups and downs with a steep climb. 
yeah, the heroes of the trek are the people, the porters that carry all our heavy kit bags up. Like, you know, they start off early boarding and then they're usually there at our destination uh, about an hour or so before we arrive, usually. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're great people. Yeah, yeah. So the first few days you're kind of walking through bamboo forests and getting getting steeper and moving yeah. through that sort of terrain then. And we're, we're walking on over walking over these um wire rope bridges, uh, oh. over ravines with sightings of uh waterfalls. It it took um, about uh, four days before we finally saw ad views of mountains because we were in a uh, steep valley. Because I was suffering with this out um uh, heat stroke, they um they got me going an hour before the main group most mornings when it was a lot cooler. In fact, uh, someone else was struggling, a uh, New Zealand lady. She was joining me early in the mornings as well um, to start off early. And that's what I did for the remainder of the trek. You know, started <laughs> off early ahead of the group. Even nice. on the high, the high mountain pass day as well. Like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind that though, because like you said at the start of the episode, that that alpine glow you get on the mountains yeah, must be stunning. Morning, the light is f- spectacular for photography. Yeah, yeah. So finally, uh, after a few days, we got out of the steep valley, and the terrain opened up to barley maize fields, and we we could see our destination for the night, which was low, spelled L H O, and uh, just ahead of us was this monastery on a hill. It was kind of like walking into a set, set from the Lord of the Rings, basically. Really? Uh, we could see our destination ahead. Quite surreal, spectacular landscape. That that town at low, usually you get a first first view of uh, Manuslu itself behind the monastery on the hill. But um, then the next day, um, it's walking up the valley, uh, it, more rugged terrain over these wire rope bridges. It's a relatively short day. We, we headed for the main town of the area, which was which is uh, Samigon. Of the of the entire circuit trail, it's the biggest town in, in the uh, on the Manuslu circuit. And when people climb Manuslu, uh, it's usually the start of the, the the people that climb the mountain start off from there uh, before they head up on the mountain. There, accommodation's quite comfortable, but as we got up, it got more basic. Yeah, there's some really old buildings there. It's like they must have looked like they've been around for centuries, like, you know, some old buildings. And it was like farm area. And the town has two monasteries, and one of them being one of the oldest ones in Nepal. And we had a couple of days there at Samigon to acclimatise. And we headed up to a glacial lake, which was that typical colour with that turquoise colour, the blue colour. We had a pretty pretty easy day acclimatising with a short walk. Then the next morning, we had information that um, early morning we are probably seeing Manuslu for the first time. And I could see it was starlight, having walked to the other end of the village during the night time, and the cloud was lifting. I, I set my alarm just before sunrise. I headed out to the other side of the village one of the most spectacular views of the entire trek was um, like what I previously mentioned, uh, the sun coming up and glowing against Manuslu itself. One of the most beautiful mountains in Nepal because it stands alone because Everest uh, is amongst many other higher mountains. It, it only seemed like a few seconds. So I, I had to work. I had two cameras with me, so I kept snapping away 
it was this golden glow on Manaslu itself. There was, looked like cloud high up on the mountain, but in fact, so I don't think it was cloud. It was because um, it's so high up, the wind blowing the snow off the summit uh, ridge on the mountain. So, so that was the highlight of the entire trek, seeing that. The other people on the trek, um, they stayed in their lodge and took their snaps near, near their lodge. But I had the um, initiative to go to the other side of the village and get a different view, different angle, which mm. I was glad I did. But I told the trek leader what I was doing. He was happy. I walked about a mile and a half down the valley. Yeah, so I got some good pictures. And then uh, that was the day we headed out of Gone, headed up to the next um, village up. Yeah, you said the day before you were acclimatising by that lovely glacier water. That's right. So yeah, this is yeah. an, this is a cracking way to start your day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a relatively short day. It's only about three hours. And we headed up to the next village. The next village was called Samdo. It was very much getting very basic. The lodge accommodation. We were getting close to Tibet by this time. It, in fact. This village is, is one of the um, the trails that goes over a mountain pass into Tibet. As you can imagine, if you've seen any pictures of the Tibetan plateau, plateau, it's very rugged. We saw some signs telling us about this being a snow leopard area uh, at this point. Um, we had a brief trek, trek up one of the nearby valleys for a short walk in the afternoon. Then the next day we headed up to place called Dharamsala, which was the last stop before the high mountain pass, which we did the next day. Uh, it was very basic. It was a tent by this time. <laughs> so it's was Dharamsala. We got there. It was it was a half day. Um, we got there and I just walked up another nearby hill. It's getting colder by this stage because we're, we're high up as well. And basically it was tented accommodation with a stone building as a, our mess room. And it was a big, long table. By this stage, obviously, being more remote, the food was pretty basic as well. We, we normally have our meeting um, in the evening, brief as to what we're going to do the next day. And the next day was um, the longest day's walk of the whole, whole trek. I think it was over 12 hours for me because <laughs> I'm a slow walker. And I think my alarm called because I headed out ahead of the main group. My alarm call was two o'clock in the morning. We started heading up by the side of this glacial moraine, a very rocky sort of sort of steep trail. Soon, it was a moonlight evening, cloudless sky. I knew there was no one out ahead of me. In fact, when I left the group, I said goodbye to some of my members of the group. I said, oh, I'll scare away any yetis because I knew I'd be the first one out on the trail that morning. And, uh, <laughs> And yeah, so I started heading up on the trail. It weren't too long before I saw what looked like a light up ahead. And I thought, that's a bit strange because there's no other village or settlement nearby. And it's just a trail that goes up to the high mountain pass. It's got a bit nearer. Um, the light got a bit brighter. And then I was with my guide at the time. Suddenly, the light turned into a large pair of eyes. I put my torch on high beam. Suddenly, my guide said, snow leopard. No. What? Yeah, snow leopard, he said. I I thought, do they eat humans? (laughs) (laughs) It was very much prowling around high up on on this um, sort of ridge above us. 
doing what they normally do. They're very lonesome sort of um, creatures, obviously. You see um, David Attenborough, BBC Wildlife Programme, so they camp out for weeks before they even sight one. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was very lucky to see one. Obviously, they're very, very rarely sighted. Like, you know. Did you manage to snap a photo? Or was it, was it, um, did, it did it run it off? It was dark at the time, but... Um, as I say, I put my light on full beam and I could see it was a grey sort of white <laughs> animal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's quite some distance away, but um, my guide said to me, it's a snow leopard. So <laughs> yeah, it's got to be true because the, yeah. with the bright, the, the bright um, with my head torch, obviously glinting with, with the big eyes, like, you know, creating the yeah. cat's eyes, like glow. Like, you know, it's, That's uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it's what their sanctuary area, yeah. It's uh, the science wow. centre, yeah. We yeah. So you box. you've seen you've seen a you see a snow leopard uh, after you've <laughs> recovered from shock and uh, amazing <laughs> amazingment. That's a yeah. word. Where, yeah. where to where to you after that? Yeah, we had a tea stop, um, with little hut, the mountain pass, the the La Kea La mountain pass. Yeah, we had a rest stop. We met the porters there, and then it, it was starting to get daylight. Then we see the snow on the mountains. I kept going, but yeah, I finally got up to the mountain pass, the La Kea La Pass, 5,130 metres. It's a bit surreal. I've seen footage on YouTube of people walking over that pass in in howling wind and blizzard conditions. But I wow. uh, was fortunate that day. There was no snow up there um, at all, which kind of surprised me. And there was no wind at all, not even a breeze. The prayer flags on on the pass there, where they normally put high up on the mountains there, that they they weren't fluttering at all. There's no there's no breeze at all. It's unbelievable. I had, had a few moments to myself, um, just filming, and then um, weren't too long before other members of the group arrived, uh, and very much in celebration, <laughs> a lot of noise. But it was nice to have that moment to myself with the the quietness of being up on that high mountain pass and. There'd been no wind or snow or rain. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. It's unbelievable. Like, you know. I was the first one up there, obviously heading out ahead of the group there. I think it was the first day ever that they didn't t- overtake me. <laughs> you know, but but I, I normally do quite well on uh, with altitude and um, walking at altitude. But um, the rest of the day, I'd lingered behind the group for the rest of the day, um, walking down because it's more strenuous on the knees. And it was a very steep descent. I think it's one of the steepest descents because we um, we dropped about um, quite a few uh, metres. Um, our destination to, for the night was uh, Bimtang, uh, which was at 3,700 metres. So we had a steep descent of 1,300 metres, longest day of the, the whole trek. As I say, I think I was gone over 12 hours. That's massive. Uh, but, but heading down, we had spectacular views of um, the Annapurna Mountains, I believe um, the nearest one being Annapurna 2. And then, then we we, um, we walked alongside um, the remains of old glaciers. We're obviously, with the global warming, you see all these glaciers mounting, you see the remains of where, where they used to be. Like, you know, it's uh, sad, sad to say. So yeah, you've, had a, you've had a massive descent down. I, I mean, knees-wise, were you glad at that point you brought your trekking poles? Oh, yeah, certainly, yeah, because it was very much um, rough terrain. It was um, what they call scree slopes. We was all sliding a few places on, on the way down this sort of zigzag trail. 
but as I say, um, it's the overnight stay at Bimtang into the lodge for the night. And um, the next day, was getting up early and still more views of spectacular views of mountains, but lower down on this, this occasion. And then down the valley, through forest areas, with still following um, with views of um, remains of some glaciers as well. Yeah, so we headed into a forest area, pine trees for the first time. It's a bit like, wow. a bit like this country, but following a glacial tumbling river. And then eventually the, the next day we, we joined the Annapurna Trail at uh, Durrapani, I think it's pronounced. It's a rough track and jo- joining the Annapurna Trail, we, we soon get to the wider valley and and it was a rough track. It was the end of the Jeep track. Um, they started to build roads across the Himalayas and we, we had evidence of that earlier at the start of the trek, the other side of the valley, building these roads, but for obviously rough terrain roads for jeeps only, like, yeah. So, yeah, we joined the um, Annapurna Trail and had our last night at a place called uh, Jagat, I think. It's <laughs> J- Jagat. <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to take your word for, on all these pronunciations. <laughs> yeah, J-A-G-A-T. <laughs> yeah, and then we stayed overnight there. It's beautiful scenery, scenery heading down there. Our last day on the trail there, um, tumbling waterfalls, plants and, you know, forest areas. Oh. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, overnight stop on last last overnight stop on the trail at Jagat. We had a jeep ride back to the um, the main town and then the bus back to Kathmandu. Uh, but the next morning they'd arranged jeeps for us. So, so that avoided a two hour walk or so walk. So uh, I uh, initially got into the back with all the kit bag on this open truck at the back of the this jeep mm. and very much bumpy ride i thought to myself am, am i insured for this <laughs> yeah not, not to be in the seat in the seat inside the vehicle like you know but but i was just busy filming with the uh, the jeep in motion going down the trail like yeah and we got our first uh, our, our very last um, glimpse of manaslu itself and the mountain range disappearing in the background on this jeep down a steep sided valley yeah, so we got back to Kathmandu. We had a free day in Kathmandu before flight back to London by Delhi. So I very much um, explored a bit of Kathmandu I hadn't explored before. There's three, three cities that outside of um, Kathmandu, back to Poor, uh, and another place I went to. I walked I walked for miles, surprisingly, uh, around Kathmandu the last day. So before we get to some wrap-up questions, is there anything else that we need to know about the Manaslu Trek? Yeah, obviously, um, the gear I used was um, just standard um, trekking boots, reasonably lightweight boots, leather boots. Yeah, you need leather boots, proper walking boots, really, not mm. not, not any um, lightweight, because I know there's a lot of lightweight boots around these days, uh, I believe, um, but you need proper leather, bo- leather boots. By the time I'd finished the trail, I had a hole in my leather boots, but it was on the last days, so it weren't so bad, yeah. Yeah, be prepared. Have all the layers with you because um, it can get cold up there. Um, have all your fleece tops, jumpers and, uh, and down jackets. Yeah, gloves, hats, scarf. <laughs> what what I tend, tend to do also because of lack of electricity and lack of opportunities to charge your devices like your cameras and etc. Your iPod or whatever you have with you. I took a solar panel with me. One of these foldable, portable uh, solar panels with you collapses. as three panels, and you could put it in the back of your backpack, basically. I, I tried that, but it didn't work. But um, 
during the time we stopped for over half an hour most times, most most days for our lunch break, because you're high up in in the Himalayas, when the sun's out, it really did charge this. Um, I've got this uh, battery charger device. This solar panel really did charge that. In fact, I didn't run out of any power throughout my trek. But I charged this portable battery pack, and it came in use one night when we was on the trail. Um, we stayed overnight at this lodge, and there was two showers, but one of them didn't have a light working. So I used this battery pack and connected my uh, portable light. So that made another shower available. So, so I think the the the, uh, the trek mates were pleased with, with what I'd done there. <laughs> but yeah, don't expect there be to be. Um, enough opportunities to charge up your batteries for your cameras you need to take um, some charging equipment with you yeah certainly yeah so yeah. you've you've been to nepal you've had some quite a good experience doing this trek was there anything that surprised you about it yeah yeah it's um it's one of the less popular treks it was um only opened up to uh, trekkers in um, in 1991 so it, it has only been open for a few decades it, it was closed off to, to uh, visitors for obviously before then. Um, the only people that used to obviously walk up there were the mountaineers that climbed Manaslu in the 1950s. That, that, that's what attracted me. It's um, it was one of the um, lesser populated trails, taking in some spectacular scenery that I've never done before, and kept going more closer to the border with Tibet, which I've never done before, and sighting of that snow leopard. And so it's more remote, but um, with more with a bit more of a variety of scenery, with um, forest areas to um, rough area near the border with Tibet. But uh, Everest region is totally different. It's all rocky basically, with uh, smaller, not, not much forest areas, um, but you've got the glacial rivers tumbling down, obviously, as everywhere. I did the Annapurna Sanctuary Trek, which is one of my shortest trek, treks I've done, just over 4,000 metres um, in the Annapurna region. That's going up there, it's more green, greener scenery. You know, so I had a variety of green scenery on the Manusloo circuit and the rocky high mountains, yeah, waterfalls that, um, you know, so it's good variety of scenery. So that's why I wanted to do it. Because you, you do research, you look on YouTube before you go. In fact, I think a mountaineer that climbed Manaslu, <laughs> most of his video on YouTube described the, the trail, the trek up to the uh, base camp more than the climb of the mountain itself. <laughs> like, yeah. It sounds like there's a lot to see and to see and take in on the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So last question then. Which is, if you could relive one moment on the trip, what would it be? Well, it's between the sight in the early morning of Manaslu with the glow. I would say that one, but the sight in the snow leopard was another highlight, obviously. But uh, yeah, having done a lot of treks with the uh, Himalayas before, that's what I love seeing this uh, early morning or evenings, just as the sun's rising or the sun's mm. setting uh, on a clear day just before the sun drops below the horizon or comes up above the horizon, you get this orange glow. And you, if, you, if you plan it right, you get your spot right. It, it only seems to be a few seconds, but uh, you, you get this orange glow on the mountains against the snow backdrop of the high peaks. That, that's certainly a highlight, yeah. Sounds dreamy, honestly. I can't wait to go out and do these things in, in Nepal. Perfect. Well, listen, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and, and chatting to us about the Manaslu Circuit Trek. 
Yeah, no worries. It's an uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, it's, it's nice to um, reminisce because with this COVID lockdown, I um, very much look back in fondness of the things I've done in the past, like, like I was imagining other people uh, are doing at the moment, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I really hope you enjoy that. If you want to hear more about the circuit treks in Nepal, then please do get in touch, btmtravelpod at gmail.com, and let me know if you want to talk about them as well. Thank you so much for listening. Get in touch and send us your thoughts on btmtravelpod at gmail.com. Like and follow the podcast on social media with the links in the show notes and below. I hope you have a fantastic day, and I will see you in the next one. (laughs) 